This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, we should have been talking about the Claret's performance against Spurs. But headlines have now been dominated by Takeover Talk. This is the Known and Never podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Known and Ever podcast, which is now going to be put together a little bit more hastily than we first thought, because even though we had plans this week, guys, to record reaction to the Spurs game and to talk about um, our excitement at a much improved performance, albeit it didn't bring any points to fruition, um, we've been somewhat derailed and all of you who are listening to this podcast will, of course, know what we are talking about. The headlines this week are being dominated by the imminent takeover of Burnley Football Club by one of two parties. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week to discuss what on earth is going on in the boardroom at Turf Moor is Tom and George. Um, Tom, George, before we get on, let's have a, a quick chat about uh, about what's happening. I'm just going to give a quick summary of where I think we are now. And guys, we are recording this Thursday night. It's half past seven. Sean Dyche is in his press conference ahead of the Chelsea game today. We've tried to get as much information from social media, from local news, from whatever we can get. And I think this is a summary where we are. Up to now, we thought that the Clarets were going to be taken over by the American consortium ALK Capital LLC. Um, but it's emerged in the last 24 hours that a rival bid has come in for an Egyptian consortium um, who is being fronted by sports lawyer Chris Fennell and, and a, please forgive this, this pronunciation, but I believe it's Mohammed El Kashash, um, who apparently wanted to pay more for the club. We believe that's around £200 million bid. Um, and early reports were that the Egyptian consortium had... Um, already signed an SPA, they transferred funds, and it was as close as just needing um, to get over the Premier League's fit and proper persons test. Um, Q panic overnight, Q scrambling to find out what on earth what's going on. And today, Thursday, um, 
it, the newspaper talk has very much shifted back to ALK being back on the table and perhaps a preferred bidder as well. Um, and we are wondering perhaps whether this um, El Kashash um, bid has been pushed into the media to try and spur the Americans on or to maybe try and resurrect a deal which we thought would, was dead in the water. Um, I think that's where we are right now. Um, George, do you want to kick us off with this and just let us know essentially what, what was the immediate reaction when all of this came out on social media? Yeah, good evening, Natalie. So it, it sort of happened around half past four last night. It just suddenly seemed to the the news story broke everywhere. I mean, first it was the athletic, the athletic, and the mirror, and then as the night drew in, it was BBC Sport, and now today we've had Sky Sports reporting it, and it it just seems to have come out of the blue, really. But I think what's the why it's come out of the blue is it seems that they've been talking for a year, and now because the Chris Farnell EFL incident incident has been put behind them, and he's now cleared to own a club technically, it suddenly burst into the public sphere and it certainly burst into the Twitter claret sphere last night and let me tell you the reaction wasn't good I think we're going to go on to it a bit later about the the reaction from Charlton fans which you know I think is really interesting because Chris Farnell was involved with the club over the last year or so but the immediate reaction on Twitter and you know just people I interacted with on Snapchat my mates and everything it's just it seems horror more than anything a surprise at the American deal seemingly falling through as of now, and then B the, the track record of this Farnell block. So yeah, the first immediate reaction is worry, and I think that's a sentiment shared by me as well, definitely. Yeah, Tom, I think I probably share that as well, and and I think we've talked about this on previous podcasts, and we've talked about this offline as well, in that we were all relatively comfortable with the Americans taking over. Um, I think we'd all got to the point where we didn't necessarily need new owners to be Burnley fans. I didn't, I didn't particularly have that as my absolute criteria. I was quite happy for for complete strangers to come in as long as they were, they did pass the fit and proper test that they were bona fide genuine owners that they had the money behind them to do what we wanted to do and that they were going to take the club to their heart um obviously i think now the emergence of the egyptian and particularly chris fennell as well is is a little bit different um before we sort of go on to the background of the second bid what's this egyptian bid um what i guess i don't know whether i'm feeling this are you feeling tom that there's any credit in these rumours that this second bid might have been leaked to either bring ALK back to the table or to basically get them to pull the finger out a bit? Or does that not wash with you? I don't really know how I feel about that. Yeah, it's quite a difficult one to to get your head around without really knowing all the ins and outs of what's going on in the background. From what I've read, the Egyptian consortium's been in talks for the, the better part of a year. Um, I think it's obvious that garlic has been trying to sell for a while now. Um it's it's always going to be the case that there's probably going to be more than one interested party for a Premier League club, um, and I suppose it's it's all about the timings and it's all about where the leaks have come from as well. I don't know enough to know where the leaks have come from, but it would seem to make sense putting two and two together that we heard about the Americans a few weeks ago, potential that they are the preferred bidder or the bidder that have got furthest along at that point, and. Um, you know, it it may well be there was a lot of, of talk in the last few weeks that it seemed to be going quiet on that front, and maybe it is a bit of uh, a ploy from from our side to to try and put the pressure on that bid coming through. If that if that is indeed the preferred bid, 
from what we understand about both parties, um, and obviously knowing that Mike Garlick is a Burnley fan, and I do think whatever anybody says, I do think he has the best interest of the club at heart, and I do think he would want to sell it to the people that he believes would be best for the club. From what we've read about the two bids, you'd have to imagine that the the Americans are going to be the better of the two. Um, so if you look at it through that prism, then yeah, quite possibly the timing of this news and the fact that this is coming out now and the fact that it seems to have gone from no talk of it whatsoever to we're at a late stage and, and they just need to get it ticked by the Premier League. Perhaps that is a bit of a ploy to, to tick, you know speed things up for the American consortium. Maybe if they need to part with a little bit more money to put the pressure on them to do that. Um, I think probably uh, at the minute, that's looking at the, the track record of the of this 4-0 trap. I think that's probably what we're all hoping is the case as well. Yeah, I think I probably agree with that as well. Um, like I say, I was relatively comfortable with the American deal. Um, and I, I wasn't necessarily initially um, sceptical of the um, Chris Fennell deal either, just because I was just like, oh, great, you know, oh, God, we are popular. And, and when you see headlines of a £200 million takeover, you just think, wow, that's exciting. And I've got to say, actually, it's uh, one thing I would put a quick pause on here, and I think people need to bear this in mind. Um, when people say it's in, in the headline said it's a two hundred pound two hundred million pound takeover, I just want people to be clear that that's not that is the money that this consortium are going to be paying for the shares. So that is for the current shareholders; they will get paid for the club. That is not two hundred million pounds that's going into the club. That's what the shareholders being paid for their shares in the club. So yeah, I just want you to be very clear listeners that you know when you hear these headlines about there's a 200 million pound takeover that isn't 200 million pounds in the bank for Burnley that we can suddenly go out and start playing on players we don't yet know and are unlikely to know what level of investment will be put directly into the club as a result of the takeover we only know roughly what they are being um, paid for their shares so let's just let's just we just need to bear that in mind when we're talking about what this means for us going forward um and I think, um, I think then, George, we probably need to address what Tom mentioned then is, I guess, assessing the two bids. Now, there's not an awful lot we can say about the ALK bid because it's been very much closed behind closed doors. We've not heard an awful lot about it. But it does also seem to be that there's a lot of information um, being put out about the Christopher Nell I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Fornell, um, his involvement in this. And I think it's probably because of his um, very colourful history and the just the sheer level of controversy that surrounds his character. Um, now, listeners, we, just, we do need to be very careful here. Um, this is a podcast that we are obviously putting out there for listeners to listen to. And I would stress here now that the information that we're about to um, set out to you and we're going to debate is not... Um, information that's been verified we don't know whether it's fact or whether it's just speculation a lot of it is paper talk a lot of it is fan talk a lot of it is twitter talk um we cannot vouch for whether this information is verified we cannot vouch for whether it's accurate all we are doing now is discussing what's being sent to us by other football fans and what is being reported in the press as being concerns about particularly chris farnell and whether or not 
he is the right candidate to be put forward. So I'm just going to put that disclaimer out there right now. Um, George, do you want to talk us through the first element of this, if you've got it? Because the, the biggest thing I think that people are concerned about with Chris Farnell being involved in the club is this EFL ban that he has served and has now been released about. Can you give us any more information about that? Yeah, so I, I'm just looking at the um, I'm just looking at the Sky Sports article. Uh, as you say, it's important that we put out the right information here. Um, and it was, I feel like this whole bid has come into public because uh, Farnell's had his disqualifying condition lifted by, and it's an independent arbitration panel. Now, that panel and the condition he had placed on him prevented him from becoming, becoming a director of a football club. So essentially, he was banned from becoming a director. And this is when he failed the like owners and directors test when he was attempting to take over Charlton Athletic. Now, I think probably is a good starting point for us is last night, I think both me and Tom saw this and it was just a Charlton fan's reaction um, to the rumours. And he, he was trying to warn the Burnley fans of what we could be getting into. So I think it's important to stress that this is the views of Steve, a Charlton fan. And he, he just said, Burnley fans, as a Charlton fan, can I please advise you, you know, to think less about signings in this takeover and more about the long-term future of your club. And then he, he goes on to address the, the worries over Farnell. He says he's constantly been alleged to be involved in some of the worst events in recent footballing history. So he's, uh, this is definite. He's been involved with Chilino at Leeds, uh, Bury, Bolton, Charlton. He was a director at Wigan back in the day. Um, and Steve just says it's long been alleged that his desire to take over clubs is to uh, asset and cash strip. This was heavily rumoured with Charlton and an alleged three million disappeared from the club left by the previous owner. The plan was to appoint Dave Jones, then head of management team, to sell a few of the assets. This plan was thwarted when Charlton fans, and this was all over social media over the summer, they protested at his head office and actually caught him in the room with this Dave Jones, who's like the asset seller. Now, aside from this, Steve says, you know, he's totally inept, would have would have gotten away with it at Charlton if he was actually good at his job. But his series of mistakes had him ousted and banned from the EFL. Now, this ties up because his ban that has been overturned by the EFL was he claimed that he'd forgot he'd forgotten to tick the box, which said he was also a director at a, a, a company that had interests in Charlton. So it was like, a, a, I can't remember what you call it, like a, when you're interested in one thing, but you've got a divulging interest. Um, is it competing interest? Someone help me out here. Yeah, it's conflict of interest, I yeah. think, more than anything, yeah. yeah. That's it. So it was a conflict of interest that he'd failed to notify the EFL about. Now, he's gone on to argue that this is just because he f- failed to tick a box. And he was cleared of that on Wednesday. So that's why I think, um, obviously, this news has come to light now. So I think it was just important to put a Charlton's fan perspective on there, just to kick us off with, you know, maybe the the notorious past of this bloke and some of the clubs he's been involved with and how, how they... The state of them clubs now, or the state of which they're not in, i.e., Bury. Yeah, I think I think like I say, I think one of the problems that Burnley fans have got with this character in particular is is that a very simple Google um, check of this of this character Tom doesn't make particularly pleasant reading. And I'm glad that George mentioned that because I did I did want to try and see both sides of the argument here and and yes it isn't it isn't particularly comfortable reading knowing that your potential future owner has been subject to an EFL ban um but like I say his 
his genuine justification for that is that it, it was a an administrative error and he had he had accidentally forgotten to tick a box in a form that declared his interest in uh, as a directorship in an interested firm um, and the fact that that EFL ban has now been overturned does tell you something um, at some point I know that the EFL um, standards are different to the Premier League standards but we still got to bear in mind here Burnley fans that he has he has had that ban overturned and the EFL would not have overturned that ban if they didn't think that he was now fit and proper and capable of being able to own a football club. Um, I think for me, Tom, the bits that maybe stick out for me more are he, he seems to have a history of trying to push, let's call them less than credible people to the forefront of clubs. And I'm going to bring the Leeds thing in here now, because as George mentioned, um, he was heavily involved in trying to mastermind the, the Chilino takeover. And we know that Leeds fans were, were immensely concerned with that takeover and, and that gentleman wasn't uh, particularly um, des- desirable in terms of, of, of what he looked like on paper anyway. Um you know, the Chilino himself was serving two suspended convictions for fraud. Um, and, and I spoke to a couple of Leeds fans who said that there was a bizarre situation during that whole takeover where um, Chris Farnell had positioned himself in the club and actually telephoned, and I remember this at the time, he telephoned, um, McDermott was the manager at the time, um, and he then called him and sacked him over the telephone but less than 24 hours later, McDermott was then reinstated. And Tom, you must remember this because I know I remember it. And that, But then the Leeds fan was saying that at the same time, Farnell was very much then shipped out of the club. Um, I think, Tom, where I'm coming from with that is, and I've, again, this is all speculation. We, we can only report on what we're being told. We've got no idea whether this is verified or not. But one of the things, Tom, you and I have always talked about is the people that we want to be at the heart of the club. and. This guy doesn't really sound like somebody we want. Is that fair? I think it's it's whatever happens, it is going to be a massive departure from the model that we're used to, which is you know, as you say, a local man, a fan of the club, um, operating in the in the way that we operate. And um, the I think the American bid does seem to be slightly more holistic in the way that they're talking about sports science and things. You can sort of join up the dots and see why there'd be an interest there. Uh, as you say, the, the previous track record of, of Farnell, um, it doesn't suggest that he is a particularly committed football fan. It doesn't suggest that he's got any particular commitment to football in the Northwest. Quite a peripatetic um, directorial career so far in the game. He's been at a lot of clubs. He doesn't appear to have stayed very long at any of them for a variety of reasons. And I don't think you get an idea from his track record so far in football as to what his um, what his ideas would be with the club or what he would be looking to do to improve it, to push it onto the next level. Other than, as you say, the fact that a lot of the clubs that he's been involved in have subsequently not performed very well or have had problems with their ownership. So, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't appear to bode well from that, from that regard. Um, what you said about him kind of being more of a facilitator for other businessmen or for, to help, people potentially come in and then as you say at Leeds who has sort of gone to one side as soon as Chilino had taken over then that raises questions about the uh, the Egyptian chap at the head of the consortium is it Mohammed El-Kashashi um, from what I've read about him and of course like uh, of course, like everybody else I'd never heard of him until yesterday um, 
he's he's worked in I think the restaurant industry in in the Middle East. Um, but he appears to have been like a high level manager for for companies. But there isn't anything on his CV that says to me that he could have amassed the wealth of two hundred million pounds. And from what I know about Chris Farnell, I don't get the impression that he's got a wealth of two hundred million pounds. So that does make me question where has that bid come from? Who is putting up the money? Is I mean, as I said, I don't know. I don't know a lot about Okushashi. He doesn't strike me from what I can read about him as a man who's got that kind of money. Um, so is there someone else involved? Is it a consortium? Is there someone sort of who's more in the shade and, and perhaps they're putting Farnell as the figurehead for now? It's uh, It raises a lot of questions. And the fact that they, they push this chap front and centre, if, if there is someone behind with a bit more money, might lead you to question either their motivations or perhaps their their savvy so yeah it's uh it doesn't make good reading on the surface and it would be it would be interesting to have a lot of that clarified i was thinking the exact same thing tom i mean i just one look at this guy's linkedin page and you just see like a, a bunch of middle management roles in albeit impressive companies but that doesn't seem like it's going to have built up 200 million pounds worth of wealth so it's the question of well where is he borrowing this money from you know, the, the Glaciers, they went into United and bought the club with just a lot of borrowed money. And you see how that's going. Uh, the Venkis borrowed a lot of money, them, them, a lot of money themselves. And actually, the, the company that El Kashashi, oh, that's going to be tricky one, isn't it? I really hope this deal doesn't go through. <laughs> the company that he works for um, is now in liquidation when you go on their website. So, yeah, it's a really worrying one. Where's the money actually coming from? These two almost seem like uh, dumb and dumber because they went to Charlton together and uh, that all went pig's ear and now they're all now they're coming into Burnley so yeah it's a really quite a worrying one not just on the the history of Farnell with the I mean when he went to Swansea he was accused of bullying in that takeover deal you've seen how that takeover has gone for Swansea so yeah there is there's just so many questions about this deal and the reputation of the people involved yeah, that's true, George. And I think I think for me, it's the I think there's a couple of points there that that we come to. Obviously, we don't particularly like what we're reading about the um, personality and the controversy surrounding Chris Farnell. And one of the points I was going to raise actually was, um, you know, he is he's a lawyer, he's a partner in, in his own law firm, um, and you know, on the opposite side of, of this controversy, lawyers are. Um, supposed to hold themselves out as, um, you know, officers of the court and trustworthy and, and and reputable people. You know, we've got professional standards that we have to abide by. Um, and so I was going to use that as to say, look, you know, we've also got to give him this. You know, he is a lawyer. You know, but then I've also just just this moment read on the Sky Sports website that he has been investigated by the Solicitors Regulation Authority about his actions during his time with Charlton earlier this year. Um, so. Listen, I, I'm I'm trying my best to be balanced here. I'm trying my best not to pile in on this guy and turn this into a um, let's just completely rip into a, a guy who we don't know and just rehash all of these things that fans and and, and social media and, and the press are reporting. But at the moment, I'm struggling to find anything that we can flip onto the other side as a 
okay, but on the other hand, you know, the, the, the angel on the shoulder, you know, he's done this, he's done that. These are the good points about him. Everything we seem to be reading just does not make pleasant reading at all. And even if we just take this at, at a very basic level, you know, he, him and the two of them have had takeover attempts for Bury, Charlton and Leeds, all of which have failed. There's been controversy around the Charlton issue. Um, there's this EF, AFC, EFL sorry, ban around that time as well. Um, and it's the people, and, and I think Tom's made a really good point there. If this, if Mohammed El Kashash is in the hospitality industry, doesn't appear to have the wealth behind him in his personal capacity that would be able to bankroll the deal and get the money going and going forward, then rightly, who is bankrolling this in the background? And when you look at particularly the Leeds takeover and the characters that. Uh, Farnell was trying to push to the forefront of Leeds. I think it's justifiable for us as, as fans of the club to say, hang on a minute, who is this and where is this money coming from and who are you people and why why do you want to land on us when it could be, you know, it could end up the same way as those. Um, now, on the flip side, Tom, and... I'm not suggesting for one minute that there aren't disadvantages to the American deal. But, uh, you know, the, the ALK Capital deal is being uh, run by a gentleman called Alan Pace, who's a Wall Street executive. Now, straight away, obviously, we've got finance there. We've got finance experience. Um, and the companies that he manages and runs, I think you touched on at the beginning, are very much uh, based on recruitment and sports science and how you, you know, you get um grassroots you know things like that the, the the lower levels of the football and how you get those pushed forward and how you develop junior members and, and, and bring them through the ranks um and actually just one of their taglines on their website describes them as a, a high caliber team of professionals with decades of experience in senior operating roles and it just you know listen they're americans and americans are great at pr and they're great at, at, at business lines but Tom, already you're already thinking. Well, I'd much prefer ALK. Um, but does the question not remain the same? In that, where's ALK's money coming from? You know, we still have to ask that question. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think, in some ways, and I don't know if these things are connected, but in some ways, it's quite convenient. I think for ALK that this that this chap, this Farnell, is at the head of the the rival bid because a lot of uh, you know, a lot of questions are being thrown his way, and I think now a lot of fans are starting to think, well, if it's if it's one or the other, then I'd much rather it was the Americans, based on the fact that they don't have Chris Farnell heading them, and it might smooth the way for the Americans, and perhaps the timing of this leak and the information that's come out, perhaps that's related to it in some way. I don't know, but um, yeah, I think it had the had the Egyptian bid not been on the table, then um, we'd be asking, yeah, we, we'd be asking probably slightly more searching questions of of the other bid um i think like you say with the background of, of alan pace the fact that he's a wall street executive like you say he's likely to have to have more kind of capital he's likely to know people who are financiers who have got more capital themselves um so i think that that does give him that air of legitimacy that perhaps the other bid doesn't have and the fact as well like you say that um that he's got these investments in sports companies and sports science and data and things like that gives you it, it, it makes you slightly question less what the motives are because you think you can see the joined up thinking there you know the owner at brentford has a similar interest outside of being the brentford owner and he and the two things work side by side and that's why brentford are doing so well so 
maybe that's part of it as well. The fact that he's got that kind of background in sports and um, and uh, and obviously the fact that it's a bit more visible where his wealth might be or where his, who his backers might be. <clears throat> but yeah, you're right. It's it's still something that we have to question. And I think I've said in the past on on here, certainly on on Twitter and elsewhere. Uh, I, I'm quite. It would upset me, I have to say, if, if we were to be taken over, even if. And I think we all realise that probably garlic's time has come to an end. He has taken us as far as he can, and we're at the point where it does look like it's either garlic or dice that will be gone in the near future. And I think I'll probably speak for everyone when I say I'd probably rather garlic went than dice. But at the same time, it, it will be a sad day when we stop having our, you know, our kind of unique, um, yeah, quite unique in uh, in modern day football that we're we're owned and run by fans. We're doing it without massive outside investment, and I think whoever the owners are. Um, we'll always have to question their motives because they won't be as pure as the motives that the owners of the club have currently. I'd agree on casting a shadow over the ALK bid as well. I think it's, it is obviously, as Natalie suggested, it's easy for fans to now think, oh, let's get ALK in. No, no, not Chris Farnell. But at the same time, you know, if ALK aren't willing to put up the money to buy the shares in the first place, then who's to say they'll actually be pumping in the money to the club uh, to actually improve on, because the only reason we're getting rid of Garlic is, or, you know, he's selling the club, is not because he's a bad owner, it's just because we've reached, you know, the end of his tenure where he can actually put enough money in. And from from what I was hearing with the, the, the ALK bit, it was more below 150 million, and that was where the price was being haggled at. So if, I mean, if the Sky Sports never wants to be believed and this new takeover bids of 200 million, then I think you just have to question whether A, a OK would be willing to spend that much, and then B, if they weren't willing to spend enough to actually outbid another takeover rival, then you know, are they that committed? Do they have that much capital that they'd actually be an improvement on the ownership we have? So I think it's definitely important to just you know take a balanced and nuanced view of this, and it's not just a case of being desperate for the ALK bid to come in now that you know Chris Farnell's gotten himself involved. Yeah, it's the it, it's the it's the, the the lesser of the two evils, isn't it? It's like if we if we're sitting here and we're saying, well, we don't want Chris Farnell uh, Farnell to come in, so we want ALK, but ALK fall away. We're then put in a, in a position where it's either Farnell or nothing, and you just got to look at that and you think, well, as Burnley fans, do we do we want the investment at any cost? Do we want to take the risk on these owners um, to get the investment in and maybe secure our our position because we are in quite a precarious position and I don't I still maintain the view that I don't think we're going to progress under the current board I just don't think their their personal wealth and you know nor should it you know we shouldn't be expecting them to um to just keep bankrolling us from their personal wealth I think I think what what worries me more about the current board is is that we don't seem to be pursuing or taking advantage of better commercial um, opportunities. We seem to just every single season maintain the position that we rely on the Premier League money, and that's everything. And that you know, we don't know what happens behind the scene. The club could very well be trying every single year to get you know better sponsorship deals or better whatever. We aren't a particularly fashionable club, and people you know we don't have a great image, so people maybe don't want to pay. But I am frustrated. You know, even, whilst I don't think that our board should be having to put their personal money in all the time I'm equally as frustrated that we don't seem to be exploring and we don't seem to have taken advantage of the the greater 
um, monetary opportunities that are out there that come from being part of such a global brand that is the Premier League. So for both of those reasons, I think it's time for this board to go on. But George, I think I think I'm still in that position where if it's Celta Fernell, Farnell, I keep calling Fernell, it's Farnell, isn't it? Celta Farnell and this Egyptian consortium with all the risks that come with it, or stick with garlic and 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 the board as it is. I think I'd probably stick. Is that naive? I've, I've, you know, I'd think I'd have to agree with you. I think it would be interesting. I mean, you know, if Sky are to be believed, this this is literally just waiting the Premier League rubber stamp and the contracts have already been signed. So maybe this talk of ALK versus this new takeover bid, it's non-existent because the contracts have been signed. It's already going through. So I think what would be interesting is, say, you know, it becomes announced, you know, this, this takeover is happening. Would the be as we've already touched upon, there's literally there's no good news to be found anywhere about either of these guys. Uh, Farnell's got a you know a dodgy history to say the least, and the the, the thing is we don't really know anything about the uh, El Kashashi uh, bloke. So I think it would be interesting if the club actually came out with a positive spin on it, and maybe actually gave us a background of the two guys because Chris Farnell's background's <laughs> publicly known and um, contentious. And the other bloke we just don't know much about. So it would be interesting if they managed to put a positive spin on it. And or just it's not even a positive spin, it's just giving us information because as we've already mentioned, we just don't know where the money's coming from, if there's a secret party behind it. It just it's really deeply concerning, and especially with the, the calibre of a bloke that Chris Varnell appears to be. So yeah, it's seriously worrying for me. Yeah. I mean We've got to bear in mind as well. I'm not sure I particularly believe this story that Sky said about an SPA already being signed, and it's just a case of rubber stamping. Um, just that I just that doesn't make any logical sense to me, um, and I don't I, I don't believe that that is the case. And actually, if if a an SPA had already been signed, they wouldn't still be having talks with ALK. That would have gone now. I know I know how this field works, and I'd be surprised. It just doesn't. From what I've read, and you've got to bear in mind that a lot of it might just be paper talk. It just this whole. I I don't personally believe that an SBA has been signed. I don't believe that's the case. Um. So, Tom, let's put us back into the hypothetical scenario that ALK bid falls away and that they don't want to pursue it. Now we've got to bear in mind as well. Actually, before we move on to this, what we're being told is that ALK have the money there. They are still keen to progress even irrespective of Carrot's current form. They are a huge fan of Dash and they want to be in before January because they want to bring players in in January to give us the best possible opportunity to survive in the second half of the season, um, assuming that we're still in the bottom three by then. Um, Let's say that doesn't happen and let's say that the price that Garlic either... Well, let's say either ALK falls away and they don't want it anymore or... Garlic and the board decide that they want to capitalise on the higher price being offered for their shares by Chris Farnell and, and the Egyptian consortium. Um, and, you know, it's within his prerogative, he's, he's invested his own money in the club, he wants to just get paid more and sell to them. What's the feel that you've seen on social media in terms of a fan revolt? Or is there anything in that sense that the fans feel that they can do to stop this from happening? I've been thinking about this quite a lot today. It, it is interesting because I've, in the past, I've kind of looked at a lot of clubs um, that have had these dodgy takeovers or dodgy owners. 
and uh, and some clubs are a lot more kind of proactive than others. Some clubs fan bases. So, for example, Charlton, I thought they were fantastic the work they did um, against Ron and Du Chatelet. They were proactive in stopping. Well, I think um, you will see on social media that some Charlton fans went to Chris Farnell's office at a point where he was trying to get his takeover through. Um, so they're proactive. Um, and I've, I've often kind of wondered what the reaction would be from our fan base if, if something similar happened. Now, I think the biggest problem that we're going to have as a fan base, if we want to kind of show any opposition or resistance to, to this takeover, is that you can't unite the fans physically at the minute because of the coronavirus situation, because there's nobody at the grounds. It's so much harder to coordinate everything other than via social media. And there are great things you can do via social media. We saw that with the food bank, uh, you know, the the food bank protest um, the other week. But in terms of kind of getting in the way of this takeover, stopping it, uh, you know, I haven't seen any positive reaction on social media really. But how does that translate into real world opposition to this takeover? You can get people going down protesting outside the ground. A, how many are you going to go at? A, how many are you going to get? Sorry, I mean, I live in Derby. I I, I, you know, I've been up to Burnley since uh, since um, the last home game in March. Um, it's a tier three area. I, I don't know what the, le- the the laws are regarding it, but certainly not encouraged to travel up there. Um, you, you can't have a crowd of more than six gathering outside. So, how is that going to work? How how proactively can you present a united front to any potential owner? And I, I really don't see an answer to it other than petitions and things like that on social media and how much of an impact that's going to make on things, I don't know. Uh, hopefully, people at the club, Mike Garlick, they're aware of what the prevailing opinion is on social media. Hopefully, that that's related to them in some way, um, if they're not just reading it themselves. And hopefully, that does play play a part in the thinking. And as uh, as George said earlier, if, if, if it is going to go ahead and if that is who they are going to sell to, at least have some explanation, some you know, some uh, justification as to why that's that's the route that they're going down. But I think it's it's going to be really difficult in if if the takeover does happen, say before January, as, as is being discussed, it's going to be really really difficult to to put any kind of United front up against it. Unfortunately, yeah. Oh, it's all very depressing. I just, I think I'm quite cynical in terms of, of how much impact the fans can have. I've got to say, I know I agree with you. I think Charlton were fantastic when they were going through the problems they had. I'd also give a particularly special shout out to Blackpool fans as well, who went on such a long, long, long crusade to get their owners out of the club and finally got their wishes and are, and are starting to rebuild again. So it can be done. But yeah, you're right. It relies heavily on, on physical contact. And, and I think George is just putting out sure comments is is right you know you can put a you can put things out on social media but it's just an echo chamber and it's like and how do you do it but actually I'm also more concerned as to well what well actually what does protests actually do if you're you know if I'm if I'm a consortium and I want to pay 200 million for a football club and I've got my reasons for doing that and I want to run it as a business and even if I want to asset strip it or, or or if let's say let's if even if we say that our worst fears about Chris Fernell are uh, brought to fruition and he's you know he just he's got his agenda what he wants to do to the club is he really going to give a monkeys about 5,000 Burnley fans outside Turf Moor waving the picket books and signing petitions saying we don't want you to run our club 
is just going to carry on regardless. I don't really, and it worries me just that. Now, I, I fully expect that the Clarets Trust and the various supporters groups are all over this at the moment. Um, and even though we've not heard from him this season yet, as you all know, Liam, um, who is on the board of the Clarets Trust, is part of the Non and Ever team. Um, we've just struggled really to pin him down at the, recently to be able to speak to him. As you can imagine, with pay-per-view and um, the takeover talks and everything like that, the Clarets Trust is a shareholder in the club, albeit a minority one that doesn't have voting rights from what I understand um oh actually no George have you just joined the board of the Clouds Trust as well have I just missed an email on that hello George we may have lost George yeah I think we've lost George we'll, we'll, we'll bring him back listeners he'll, he'll come back in when we're halfway through I'm pretty sure Tom I've not made that up I'm pretty sure I've seen on our text group that he's joined the board but anyway um we we obviously we, we know that Liam's been trying to fill us in in terms with what he can and what it's appropriate to say um, internally. Um, you know he is he is planning on coming onto the show as quickly as he can and giving us an update on what the Clarets Trust is doing to sort out the pay per view debacle and also. Um, uh, sorry, we've got listeners. We've got George in our chat. We're going, "Hello, can you hear me?" And we're like, "No, we can't." <laughs> Poor George. We're going to try and get George back. Um, I don't want to interrupt the flow of the podcast. So we're going to keep going, and, and George is probably going to dip in and dip out. I think. Um, so yeah, I think um, I think we'll get him on shortly to try and, and give us some indication as to what's happening. Um, but yeah, at the, at the meantime, Tommy, it feels a little bit like we're a bit helpless, doesn't it? It feels like we just just getting emotional and, and and firing out on Twitter and it just doesn't really feel like there's anything we can do, does there? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, it, it's a difficult one to get your head around because it is, it's the nature of football is that, you know, the, the clubs now are all PLCs and they can be bought and sold and the fans aren't really a part of that. And uh, it's something that, you know, we've been quite lucky in that we've not had to deal with in the past and, Obviously, it's looking like it might it might happen now. So it's something that, if it does come to pass, perhaps it's it's best not to get too despondent too early. I mean, as you said earlier, you know, it's not just because the, it's being reported that it's got so far. It's at an advanced stage. It doesn't mean it is going to happen. There's still twists and turns, I'm sure, to come. Even after that, we saw with uh, with Leeds United, you know, um, as we said, uh, Farnell, Chilino, uh, and Farnell were working together at the start fairly quickly after that Farnell was was gone so assuming that the chap that we're getting that Farnell's bringing in isn't as bad as Chilino perhaps you know perhaps it won't be that bad from that perspective other things as well I mean the the major flaw that you get with owners coming in is that um you know they sat the manager very quickly now I'd be absolutely gobsmacked if any of them were stupid enough to give Dyche the boot as soon as they came in um that really would turn the fans if nothing else and Let's be fair, I don't think Farnell's got the bravery to ring up Sean Dyche and tell him his services are no longer required. So perhaps we wouldn't have to worry about that. And then perhaps as well, we might see a little bit more investment in the January window and we could take stock from there if we can if we can secure another season in the Premier League. So, yeah, it's going to be difficult to stop anything. And uh, and so perhaps it's best just to try and clutch at the straws we've got, try and look on the bright side for now and uh, and cross the bridges that, that might appear when, when we come to them. I agree. And actually, we've, we've got George back. George, welcome back. We thought we'd lost you for a little while there, but we've managed to, to, to claw you back into the fold. We thought Tom and I were going to have to finish off the podcast. Um, uh, interestingly, one of the things that I've read, um, George, is that the Clarets worrying Premier League form is a factor that's potentially stalling talks for a takeover bid, which brings us quite nicely on to 
the game at Monday night um, against Spurs, which ended up being an actually quite good performance by the Clarets, albeit not the maybe the result we were expecting, but not the result we wanted. Um, Clarets most definitely looked like they were back to themselves on Monday, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. And just before I mention this, I, I, I'm surprised that it's stalling talks because the worrying form should make Mike Garlick think, quick, let's sell the club now before they're relegated. Because <laughs> there's not a chance anyone's coming in for us once we go down. <laughs> it should be speeding no, up talks. True. But yeah, Monday night, you know, it was really nice to see just that the team was playing a lot more like themselves and backing up the West Brom game where, okay, disappointing not to win, but we were saying last week it was really nice to see them playing, you know, similar to how they played in Project Restart, solid base and working on from there. So it was great seeing it's all well and good doing that against West Brom, but we took it to Tottenham, who were a good team this season. And, you know, it just goes to show that we've not lost our touch and, you know, I'm quietly hopeful that if we carry on playing like that, things can get a lot better in the near future. So, yeah, definitely really nice to see us looking so solid. Okay, unfortunate with the, them winning and nicking it. But at the end of the day, it could have easily been us. We didn't create much, but yeah, just playing nice and solid, good defending. And that's what we do well. And it's what we were worried about with this season was, you know, keeping clean sheets or, or keeping the goals down. But if we keep topping them to, you know, one goal, then we should be all right for the near future. Yeah, I think, Tom, that we actually ended up creating a lot more chances than Sky gave us credit. So Sky were being arseholes on Monday night in the studio. They were really starting to pee me off, if you pardon my French. Um, I very nearly properly swore then. And they were all like, oh, this is this is hard to watch. And, you know, Burnley, it's a systematic team, blah, blah, blah. I was just like, oh, shut up, you're boring me now. Um but I thought I thought Tom that we did um, we had quite a, a few decent chances and we actually managed to get the ball in in quite a bit. Um, how did you think that Ashley and Chris Wood dealt with that up front? Because obviously at the more we saw that um, Ashley Barnes got the nod ahead of Jay, which I would have preferred the other way around. But um, in the absence of some clinical chances being created from midfield, I thought I thought they did all right together actually. Yeah. Um... Uh, and the reaction to Barnes starting again was pretty uh, was pretty vociferously against it. I think on social media, I was quite surprised by that. I think um, he's he's obviously not back up to full fitness yet, but he he does give us a dimension that I think we do lack without um, without him there. I didn't think he played that badly. I think I suppose that the main problem with him there is that we've got the tendency to revert to like the long ball, the hit and hope, and there was less of that definitely than there was, for example, in the Newcastle game. Um, you know. He, he put himself about, well, he buys, I'll use the word buys, those little free kicks. I think he's lacking a bit of sharpness. Um, I think Matt made the comment in the chat that, that there was that chance in the second half where Wood knocked it down beautifully and perhaps Barnes at full fitness or Barnes, uh, of, you know, the uh, European season, maybe he just hits that first time and scores and he had one too many touches and, and was closed down. But I think we've seen little elements of, of that sharpness still being there. He's, instinctive finish for the one where he was offside that was a good finish um and yeah i don't have a massive problem with with barnes and, and woods playing up front i think i probably would prefer to see rodriguez in the next game like you say just to mix it up a little bit um give him an hour and see how that goes but uh no i, th- I thought he did all right actually and i think you can see he's getting better and he's getting sharper with each game do you think there was a couple of shouts for a couple of red cards tom um, I think certainly, well, it, it annoyed me actually because Jose being the clown that he is was going on after the, the game about what a great job um, 
the referee did because he he resisted giving Ashley Barnes a red card. I was like, um, there was very much a second red card shout there, which was probably more so. But I think I think we could have easily seen two reds. Um, I, I, I think probably in the the elbow. Um, you could have seen it given just purely from how uh, Alvaro came off. You know, he's got the cut and he's bleeding. I think it didn't look deliberate to me from from when you see it back. You know, his eyes are on the ball the whole time. He doesn't do the Andy Carroll of looking over his shoulder and make sure he swings the elbow into someone's face like he does 10 times a game. You used to see, I remember it was like 15, 20 years ago in football, you used to see red cards all the time for elbows. Gareth Taylor used to be one who used to get sent off for an elbow. Every time you played Sheffield United, someone would get sent off for an elbow when Warnett was manager. But you don't very often see it now. Um I was thinking of the one when we played Palace, Jordan Ayew elbow, Brownhill. Uh, and that was a lot more deliberate than the Barnes one for me. And, and that didn't get a red. So uh, while it could have been, um, and I, I don't think we could have complained too much if it had been, I think in in the modern game, if you're going to be consistent, you probably would say it was a yellow at best. And I don't think he, uh, he, he should have been sent off, really. The Spurs one, is that the Lamella one on McNeil near yes. the end? Yeah, where he stood. Was, I've, I've just, I've literally just put in the chat, I was like, so much has happened this week, me and George were both saying like, I almost can't remember what happened to the Spurs game. We might have to blag this a little bit. And I do remember <laughs> there being a very deliberate, I remember being absolutely raging at the time and thinking that should be a red. And he did, his studs were off the ground. It was a reckless challenge. And Sky just seemed to brush over it like, oh yeah, no, that you know, it's just an accident and that's fine. And I didn't think it was. I thought that was a bigger shout for a red. Yeah, it wasn't a very good challenge in that his, like you say, his studs are up, his foot was high. I think uh, I don't, I think it would have been very harsh to send him off for that because I don't think he's caught him particularly badly. I think McNeil has made a bit of a meal of it, maybe trying to get him sent off or at least trying to get the free kick. I think uh, it, it was not not a clever challenge, but I don't think there was enough contact really to, to say that was a red card either. And again, maybe a yellow would have been fair. But I think if you, you know, Barnes didn't get sent off, Lamella didn't get sent off, I'm not going to gripe about either decision. I thought that was fair enough. I agree. Well said. Um, disappointed though, George, to lose in the end. It did feel like we were we were doing our best to try and get a point out of that game again. Yeah, the most disappointing thing was the just the way we lost. You know, conceding from a corner like that, it's just just very unburnly like. And it, it was even more annoying because we we had really controlled their attacking threat. It's all well and good, BBC and Sky. You know writing all these columns, oh, Son and Harry Kane, what a partnership again. But it wasn't like, you know, they had this amazing free-flowing move and linked up. Okay, it was a good training ground routine for the corner, but all game, you know, we, we limited them to barely anything. That was their first shot on target, that the actual goal in the 75th minute. So, yeah, def- definitely disappointing to get a draw, but uh, not to get a draw, I wish, to uh, to lose the game. But before the game, I wouldn't have expected anything. So to come away with a credible performance and only losing 1-0, you know, we'll take it. And maybe if we play similar against Chelsea, we'll uh, kick on and maybe get a point or more next time. So it's just it's just a lot more about the performance for me than, than unfortunately losing it in the end. Yeah, I think it was really good. And, and I, what I would say to that, George, actually, I think... I was worried about some of the upcoming fixtures, but after watching the two games last week, so particularly watching Chelsea against United, which quite frankly was dull as anything, and two sides very much not firing in all cylinders, and then backing that up with our performance against Spurs, I genuinely wouldn't surprise if this win that's coming would be against Chelsea on Saturday. Um, Got to say, though, it's come out this afternoon. We've lost JBG again for a calf niggle, which means he's going to be out for 25 months. Um Jesus, we are struggling to get some consistency in this side, aren't we? That is a disappointing news. 
it's not even like it happened in a game as well. Like, we did it not for our eyes. I know he came off late and we brought J-Rod on, but it didn't seem like that was the... It didn't seem like it was an injury issue. And it just came a bombshell today after the bombshell of the takeover last night. Oh, by the way, Dice says, you know, Goodmore's got a calf niggle and, again, we have no timescale on his return. God, and I, I was really get, looking forward to seeing him get a prolonged spell in the team. He, he, he played really well against Spurs. I think it's important to note both him and McNeil, I thought were both really good. And Chris Wood and Barnes up top, they posed a threat. Yeah, really disappointing to lose him to the injury. And, you know, it just it just highlights what a failure the summer transfer window was in, in the fact, you know, not bringing in an, an extra right winger. Indeed. That was the bane of our life, though. We're always talking about the implications of a poor transfer window. Um, Tom, any word from you before we leave? We're going to wrap it up this week because I think we've we've talked enough about takeovers. We've talked about Spurs. It feels a little bit like I can't really remember what happened against Spurs now. But have you got anything that you want to add before we move on? Uh, no, I think probably same as has been said. Moving in the right direction. Bit of a shame that we, we couldn't nick a win, but if we keep playing like that for the rest of the season, we'll be all right, I think. I'd like to add something, Natalie. You, you were just saying then... You were just... You're just oh, saying then the bane of, of our lives, okay. the transfer window. I remember, you know, 20, 2014, 2015, you know, listening to the podcast uh, back then. And it was Jamie Smith, uh, I think at that time, talking about, you know, Brian Stock Day. And it's just ground, it's Groundhog Day again. The morning of the podcast has moved on so much. And yet we're still taking up, talking about the exact same issues. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I blame the transfer window for us having to try each season to find different ways to entertain you and finding ways that we can make the podcast different and unique. And uh, yeah, it's, you can't because the transfer window. Um, let's wrap that up. Um, listen, guys, these are scary times for people who don't particularly like change and the obviously threat of maybe not the owners that we wanted taking over the club and there'll be some things tonight that you don't particularly like hearing um so please try and stay calm we can't do anything about it at the moment let's just see this ride out let's see what happens um you know we might be in a position where neither of these bidders are ones we want we might end up sticking with the current board and, and having to fight another season with what we've got so let's just stay calm let's see how this plays out and um, we would love to hear your thoughts obviously we have been trolling social media over the last 48 hours to try and get reaction to the takeover um we get we get it we we get very much get the feeling that's coming out from the fans there's not an awful lot of of positivity out there um but we do want to hear what you want to say so do tweet us at none and ever or send us an email at podcast at none and ever.net dave and i will be back um what day is it today tomorrow for the preview show um where we will be looking ahead to that game against chelsea and giving you all the stats for that well i won't Dave will um and the team will be back next tuesday with um, reaction to the chelsea game we will give you an update as to what's happening with the takeover if anything else has happened we're hopefully going to get liam in as well to give us some news from the clarets trust um and george actually do you want to you disappeared when we asked you whether you in fact you were joining the Clarets Trust board. You are, aren't you? God, you've exposed a big transfer here, Natalie. This is oh, this is, no, <laughs> this is the equivalent of the takeover news bursting into the into the sphere last night. Uh, but yeah, 
I think I think we're being introduced to each other. Um, you know, it could be a possible transfer in the near future. Watch this space. Excellent. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm going to take over on the board instead and have a leak to that just so that you, they can make you uh, get pull your finger out and do it quicker. Okay, well, I'm sorry for that spoiler alert. Liam's going to kill me when I do that. But we will get Liam on from the Pirates Trust because I do want to talk to him. I know a lot of you guys have been sending us messages wanting to talk and voice your concerns about PPV, pay-per-view TV and what's happening with that. Um, Liam has got loads of stuff to fill us in on us. We'll get him on as quickly as we can. Um, my thanks as ever go to George and Tom for just having a chat about the takeover news and filling us all in their, on their opinions. Thanks, guys. Um, thanks to producer Matt for knitting it all together and getting it out there to you. To band Joyce for providing the music this week. Um, I don't know if I can or I am thanking our new voiceover guy. So I'm going to not do and I'm going to get that from Matt and I will, I'll find out for next week whether we've got a new voiceover guy to thank um, but thanks as ever go to you the listener for downloading and listening to this podcast your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you um, we will see you next week in the meantime take care wear a mask and look after yourselves um, I've been Natalie Bromley this has been the Non and Ever podcast until next time Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.